We are so glad that everyone is here or watching online. And we have a gift for you and some information about the church at our Welcome Center. Today, we have moved the Welcome Center. It's right across the hall. There's a big, huge sign that says Welcome Center. There are people in there. They've got a gift for you. They've got information about the church. It's not a long stop by, but if you want to stop by there, if you're new to the church, stop by, get the gift. If you've got something you want like prayer for, they would be happy to pray for you as well. Um, so usually we have a nice distance between you standing, you sitting down, we have all these announcements, and then you stand back up in honor of God's word. The problem on Easter is there are no announcements. So I need you to stand again right now. So here we go. Uh, John chapter 20, we're going to be reading verses 1 through 18. Early on the first day of the week, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb and saw that the stone had been removed from the entrance. So she came running to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one Jesus loved. This is always how John refers to himself. He never gives his name. He just says, the one Jesus loved. And said, they have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we don't know where they have put him. So Peter and the other disciple started for the tomb. Both were running, but the other disciple outran Peter. Men always remember if they won a race. <laughs> but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. He bent over and looked in at the strips of linen lying there, but did not go in. Then Simon Peter came along behind him and went straight into the tomb. He saw the strips of linen lying there, as well as the cloth that had been wrapped around Jesus' head. The cloth was still lying in its place, separate from the linen. Finally, the other disciple who had reached the tomb first also went inside. He saw and believed. They still did not understand from the scripture that Jesus had to rise from the dead. Then the disciples went back to where they were staying. Now Mary stood outside the tomb crying. As she wept, she bent over to look into the tomb and saw two angels in white seated where Jesus' body had been one at the head and the other at the foot. They asked her, woman, why are you crying? They have taken my Lord away, she said, and I don't know where they have put him. At this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there, but she did not realize it was Jesus. He asked her, woman, why are you crying? Who is it you are looking for? Thinking he was the gardener, she said, sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have put him and I will get him. Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned toward him and cried out in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. Jesus said, do not hold on to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. Go instead to my brothers and tell them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went to the disciples with the news, I have seen the Lord, and she told them, that he had said these things to her. May God add his blessing to his word. Amen. You may be seated. So the title of the message this morning is A New Life. Point one is just called The Rest of the Story. For many years, older people know this, Paul Harvey had a radio program called The Rest of the Story. 
in the Gospels, the rest of the story is the fuller picture of what happened. To get the full picture, you have to put the gospel accounts together. John just really tells about the second visit, Mary Magdalene. He mentions the first one, but he describes the second one. Well, each one of the gospel writers gives a different account of the resurrection. Now, skeptics have felt like, look, look at these four different accounts. This is, the, this is a con, uh, an example of scripture contradicting itself because these accounts are different. Well, investigative journalists have said, no, actually it's just the opposite. When accounts are too similar and too many things are repeated, they don't even take it as a second witness. Somebody is just copying somebody else. Somebody is repeating what somebody else had. It's actually the variance that gives credibility to all four accounts. Now, when you read the four gospels, you need to recognize they're not recording history the way we record history. Each one of the gospel writers has an audience and they're using as many details as they want to for their point to that audience. So here it is in the resurrection. Matthew is writing to the Jewish people. He's got an agenda. So he, t- he gives us details that no one else gives us. Like for instance, the chief priests and the Pharisees, after Jesus died, immediately went to Pilate and said, listen, there are rumors that he said he was going to rise again. We need, the, the conspiracy will be worse. We need to guard it. And so Pilate sends a Roman guard, which is four to six soldiers, and seals it with the Roman seal, which means this cannot be broken without death coming to these soldiers. They need to watch over the tomb. Then Matthew gives a very compressed version of the resurrection. The angel says, I will appear to them Tell them that Jesus will appear to them in Galilee. And that's all Matthew tells us about. He doesn't tell any of the same day appearances. He tells about the appearance many days later in Galilee. That's Matthew's version. So Mark is writing to the Romans. It's a very efficient gospel. It is It is short, it is to the point. When it gets to the resurrection story, he tells about both both comings of Mary Magdalene, but his emphasis is on the authority of Jesus over darkness. Mark's gospel in the account says Mary Magdalene had seven demons cast out of her. And then he, when Jesus appears, he gives these words. These signs will follow those that believe. Number one, they will have authority. They will have my authority over darkness. Every believer will be able to cast out demons. Mark is, has got a message that he wants to give of Jesus' authority over darkness. Now, Luke writes to a guy named Mo, Most Excellent Theophilus. Both Luke and Acts are written to this one guy. He's probably Paul's lawyer or judge. It is a legal term. Luke's whole thing is about evidence and uh, eyewitnesses, and, and his is the most historical. He's giving the most details. And I want you, we're going to look at Luke's gospel because he tells us details about the first time Mary goes to the tomb. So this is Luke 24, 1 through 12. 
On the first day of the week, very early in the morning, the women took the spices they had prepared and went to the tomb. They found the stone rolled away from the tomb, but when they entered, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were wondering about this, suddenly two men in clothes gleamed like lightning stood beside them. In their fright, the women bowed down with their faces to the ground, but the men said to them, why do you look for the living among the dead? He is not here. He has risen. Remember how he told you while he was still with you in Galilee. The son of man must be delivered over to the hands of sinners, be crucified, and on the third day be raised again. Then they remembered his words. When they came back from the tomb, they told all these things to the 11 and to all the others. It was Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary the mother of James, and the others with them who told this to the apostles. But they did not believe the women because their words seemed to them like nonsense. Peter, however, got up and ran to the tomb. Bending over, he saw the strips of linen lying by themselves, and he went away, wondering to himself what had happened. So Luke only records that Peter went back, which means if there's more detail, that detail happened. He just didn't give it. Peter was the main guy. He was much older than John. All right. So John picks up the story when Mary comes back after the first time. So that's point one, the rest of the story. Give you a little bigger picture. Point two, two aspects of the new life. First, a new love. First, I want to talk about Mary's love for Jesus. There is a story told in Luke chapter 7 where this woman of ill repute comes to this dinner that Jesus is having with a Pharisee named Simon. And uh, this woman of ill repute comes in and Jesus is leaning at the table with his feet behind him, which is how they did it in that day. And this woman begins washing his feet with her tears. She starts, she's weeping over him. She's putting this perfume with it. And um, the, the Pharisee says this to himself. He says, if this man was a prophet, this would not be happening. This, this is a woman with a bad reputation and he would never allow this to happen. And here's what Jesus says to him. He says, Simon, let me ask you a question. Two people owe someone a debt. One owes them little, one owes them a lot. He chooses to forgive both of them. Which one of those two will love the man most? And the Pharisee replies, well, I suppose the one that was forgiven the most. And Jesus says, Simon, this woman, I I come to your house and you don't even wash my feet. It was the first act of hospitality. If somebody came over to your house that you invited, in that culture, you got dirty feet. Wherever you travel, because there was dust everywhere, you washed their feet. He said, I came here, you didn't even wash my feet. And now this woman has come in, and she has washed my feet with her tears. Her sins are forgiven. She loved much. Now, chapter 8, which immediately follows this story, which there's no break in the Greek, 
says this. Now there were women that followed Jesus. First among them was Mary Magdalene, of whom he had cast out seven demons. Many scholars believe the woman being described in Luke 7 is Mary Magdalene. That her, her past, whatever happened with darkness, that she was the one that had been forgiven much, and so she loved much. Now, this is played out in a number of ways. The first way is at the cross. The cross, all the disciples flee. The women stay. When Pilate turns the body over to Joseph of Arimathea, Mary Magdalene is leading the group that we're going to find out where he's buried. And they follow, it says that the women followed them to see where Jesus was laid. Sunday morning, resurrection morning, Mary Magdalene is on a mission. They, she has purchased spices. I don't know how she did it, but she is going to the tomb. And she is the leader. Why do, why do we know she's the leader? Uh, first, Matthew doesn't mention any other women. She just says Mary went. Mark mentions one other person that went. Luke finally gives us the whole group of women that went with Mary. But here's how it looked. Mary's like, I'm going to the tomb. I'm putting these spices on. I need to be near Jesus. And they are like, can we come? Do you mind if we come? You do what you need to do. I'm going. So she goes. And then they come back. They, ha they, they, they see these two angels, they, they, the, the angels speak and go back, tell them. So they go back, they tell the disciples, disciples don't believe them. And then um, Mary says that the, 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 the tomb is empty. Wherever the body is, we'll talk about that in a moment, the, the tomb is empty. And she alone goes back with Peter and John. So they get back to the tomb, back to where Jesus had been. And Peter and John spend a little time there. They look at it. John believes Peter doesn't know what's going on. And they leave. They go back to where they're staying. And Mary lingers. Mary lingers. No one told her to linger. No one said, you need to stay longer. No one told her to go to the tomb. No one told her to get spices. No one told her to stay there when these guys went home. She's just, she just loves much. And it's an interesting thing, isn't it? That she has an experience that no one else has. This is my observation. This is how it works. Those who linger get more. Those who are so in love with Jesus and, you know, guys, it's time to go to dinner. Um, I'm, I, you know what? And I'm coming. Can I just, I just need to stay a little longer. I just, I, I'm being touched by the Lord. I just need to linger a little more, not because there's a rule, not because we haven't been dismissed. I just, I just, I love him. I just love him. Mary Magdalene, maybe she didn't have all the theology and the doctrine that everybody else had, but she loved Jesus. Now, in this new life, the first thing I want to talk about is this new love. Now I want to talk about Jesus' love for Mary. So John remembers it like this. So Mary came back and she said, we don't know where the body is. And 
um, but the tomb is empty, and, but we don't know where the body is. And so John's like, so Peter and I went with her to, to go back there. Well, that's not the full story. Where is Mary's faith? Two angels said he is alive. Two angels said he's not here. He fulfilled prophecy. He is alive. But they came back. The women came back. And here's the apostles. These are the important guys. These are the, these are the leaders. And they tell the story. And the apostles say, no, 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 no. You ladies are a little caught up in the emotion. I mean, we can imagine they all saw him die two days earlier. This is the third day. Nobody slept. They got up early. They are a little wrung out. And in that culture, women were a second class. Women could not even be used as legal witnesses in a court of law. Women were down here, and so their word didn't mean that much. So they come back with this testimony, and the apostles just shoot it down. We love your sincere heart. But let me ask you, let, 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 I can picture the conversation. Okay, ladies, l- let's start with this one. Did you see Jesus? Hmm, come to think about it, no. So what exactly did you see? Well, we saw these two guys. Uh, the, uh, I think they were angels. Did they have wings? You know, now that I think about it, no, they, they just look like men. So two strangers have told you that Jesus is alive and there are miracles. Really? Ladies, we saw him die. You guys need to go home and get some rest. And Mary says, well, at least check it out. His body is not there anymore. I will guarantee it. His body is not there. I don't know where it is. If, if, if what was said to us is not true, I don't know where it is, but at least... Check it out. So they go back. They check it out. Peter and John leave to go home. Mary is weeping again. And here's the two angels. The two angels ask this question. Why are you weeping? Now this is a fair question. They had just told her an hour earlier, two hours early, he's alive. The gospel's true. This is amazing. Why? What happened to you? Who stole your faith? Mary is crushed. She's broken. And she says, they've taken the body of my Lord. And the angels are just like, what's with these human beings? What what is it going to take? But you know what it says in Psalm 34, verse 18? It said God it says God is near to the brokenhearted and he saves those who are crushed in spirit. What happens next is amazing to me. There is an unexpected unplanned appearance of Jesus. The angels just gave What God told them to say. Here were the instructions that the angels gave. Go to Galilee. He will appear to you in 
Galilee. This is what they were told to stay. There's not supposed to be an appearance on resurrection day. It's going to happen in Galilee. But somebody is broken. Somebody is crushed in spirit. Somebody has just gone through having their faith stolen by the the leaders. And Jesus can't, he can't stay away. So Mary says, they've taken the body of my Lord away. And here are these two angels. You know, what are we going to say that we haven't already said? And they're about to reply. And Jesus comes up behind her and basically says this to the angels. I got this. You guys are fine. You guys are fine. This is going to take more than anything you can say. He tells her, he tells her, I shouldn't be here right now. He says, I haven't even gone to the father yet. Don't don't cling to me. This isn't even done yet, but I had to be here for you. I had to be here with you. Guys, you have no idea how your love for Jesus touches the heart of God. You have no idea the lengths that he will go to for those who have been hurt and crushed and broken and have had their faith stolen by sometimes well-meaning people. Jesus loves us more than you could ever imagine. A few years ago, I had an experience. I'm not going to tell you about the experience. I'm just going to tell you the very end of it. God spoke to me and he gave me one sentence and here was the sentence. Live loved and not afraid. Pastor loved and not afraid. Parent loved and not afraid. That was the sentence. And as I It was so clear, and as I began to think about it, I realized, oh my, even though I've got the theology that Jesus loves me, even though my theology is that God loves us, my I wasn't living out of love. I wasn't living as if I was loved. I was living out of a different identity. This identity uh, that is motivated by fear, it's always trying to, to prove itself and protect itself, and, and, and it's always trying to promote itself because fear does that to us. Living loved. Here's the mark of living loved, of having loved in your identity, not just in your theology. Here's the mark of it. 1 John 4.18, perfect love casts out fear. That I live from love, not trying to get loved, not trying to perform for love. I am loved, and now I am living not to prove anything to anybody, not, not to pr- protect myself, make sure that I don't get hurt, not trying to promote myself so everybody knows that I'm this or I'm that, but I am so loved, I'm so secure in his love that fear is no longer running things. This is the new love. This is his love for you. It has to go from here in our theology, to right here in our identity. He, he wants, the Holy Spirit wants to pour the love of God into our hearts. This is why he's here. He wants to teach us how to live loved instead of afraid. So first, 
The new life. First, it's a new love. It's a new way of living. And then secondly and lastly, a new father. So Jesus says this to Mary. I have to go, I have to go back to the father. My father and yours. My father and yours. There is an old father. Jesus says to the Pharisees, you are listening to a different father. It's the father of darkness, the father of lies. This is John 8, 44. He was a liar. He was a murderer from the beginning. He is speaking to you. He is accusing you. He is burying you. And that old father is a liar. And when we live under lies, when we live under shame, when we live under fear, we're under the old father. And Jesus says, I died and rose again so that my father would become your father. So here's, here's what we talked about on, on uh, Good Friday. We talked about, the, it was called the, the divine proposal that the father is calling the human race to be the bride of Christ. That the father's vision is to make a bride for his Son, And we talked about communion is all about the betrothal and that was a whole thing. But there's a second thing that the Trinity is doing. Jesus's heart, as the father's making a bride for him, Jesus's heart has been to make a family for the father. That in his perfect love for the father, he wants to make this family. So one of the most famous verses in the Bible gives us Jesus' goal. John 14, 6. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Jesus wants to bring us to the Father. He wants us to become these adopted, happy children of the Father. He, when he says he's the way, it's not just the way to salvation. It's the way to the Father. He wants you and I to be engaged with the Father. Now, he knew, he foreknew exactly what our mindset would be. That we've got, we've got Old Testament, bad God, New Testament, good God. Old Testament, God is mean. New Testament, God is nice. God the Father, mean. Jesus, nice. So here's what he says. This is John 16. He says, until now, you've asked for nothing in my name. Ask and it will be given to you that your joy might be full. And then he says this in verse 26. He says, I'm not saying that you will ask me and I'll ask the Father on your behalf. Listen to this. For the Father himself loves you. The Father himself loves you. A lot of what's going on in your life that you've attributed to God was not the new father. It was the old father. Let me explain just a little more about how the, the enemy works. Jesus, in Matthew 3, 16 and 17, is baptized. John the Baptist sees the Holy Spirit descend on him and he hears this voice out of heaven saying, this is my beloved son 
in whom I'm well pleased. Jesus hasn't even started his ministry, hasn't done any evangelism, hasn't healed anybody, hasn't done any great thing. He, he's just starting. And the father is, says, this is the one my delight is in. This is my beloved son. Then it says the spirit led him into the wilderness. And Jesus is tested. From God's point of view, he's tested. From the enemy's point of view, he's tempted. Satan meets him. And here are the three temptations. Number one, if if you are the son of God, he's just been told directly from heaven that he's the son. If you are the son of God, prove it. Change this, this rock into bread. Prove it. The second one, if you are the son of God, then you should be able to jump off and be protected. You protect yourself is the second one. And the third one is, um, hey, if you'll bow down to me, I'll give you the whole earth. You don't have to suffer. I will promote you. Uh, you can promote yourself by taking this easy way. It, it's all about proving, protecting, and promoting yourself. Now, here's the thing about f- insecurity and fear. If Jesus yields to that, if Jesus says, yeah, all right, I'll prove it. I'll prove who I am. Uh, 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 I'll, I'll do this. I'll do this. Whatever you do in response to darkness only ends up empowering the darkness. It doesn't take the fear away. It actually increases it. You live to prove yourself, to prove to everybody that you're this so that everybody can recognize you. And the darkness is just going to get greater. And it, you're gonna, you were insecure. Now you're even more insecure. This is the enemy's plan for the human race to bring us into fear, to bring us into insecurity. The new father has a different plan for us. I want you to listen for just a moment to Romans chapter 8 verse 15. The spirit you received does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the spirit you received brought about your adoption to sonship. And by him, we cry, Abba, Father. This is God's plan for you. That you no longer live under fear. That you no longer live under performance. You no longer are trying to prove yourself and, and trying to protect yourself and trying to, to, to promote yourself. That, that you, you put your trust in his love and care for you. And the Holy Spirit comes and there's this new life where you are connected with God and you cry out Abba, which means daddy. It's the familiar name for father. This is God's plan for every single one of us, is that we would live not under fear, but we would live, we would live loved. Pastor Tom, that's all fine and good, but you can't wipe out your past. (laughs) This is the real world. You, You can't wipe out your own failure, your own guilt, your own, uh, sin, your own regret, life has happened and you can't undo it. You can't just wipe it all away. And frankly, it doesn't matter if you read your Bible or pray or go to church or give money or sacrifice. It doesn't matter how much you do. You can't wipe away your past. And here's what I would say to that. Right, you can't. Absolutely, you can't. There's nothing you could do to wipe away your past. 
Revelation 12, 11 says this. They overcame him, speaking of Satan as the accuser. They overcame him by the blood of the lamb and by the word of their testimony about that blood. Here's the truth. There's nothing you can do to wipe away your past, but God can wipe away your past. Not only can he, it's his plan. It is his plan. It is why he died on the cross. It is why he shed his blood. He didn't want you chained to your failure, to your shame, to your worst moment, to your worst sin, to the most disgusting thing you did, to the betrayal. He didn't want you chained to that. He came. You can't wipe it away. You can't. No matter how hard you try, no matter how religious you are, you can't wipe your fast away. But he can. And that's his plan. The father's plan is this is that you have a new beginning where you and him walk forward. He breaks the chain of what has been by the blood of Jesus. Guys, there's nothing else that can break that chain. There's absolutely nothing else that can break that chain. Jesus says to Mary, this is in Luke chapter seven, he says, your sins are forgiven Go in peace. Your faith in me has made you whole. Mary is a little different than the rest. All of us are affected by the darkness. Peter takes up this thought, and when Jesus describes his crucifixion, and Peter says, that will never happen. And we know what Jesus said to him? Get behind me, Satan. That thought that you just gave, you just agreed with hell. James and John are calling fire down on Samaria. God, God, just tell, give us the word, we'll call fire down. And Jesus says, listen, guys, you don't even know what spirit you're listening to right now. That's the wrong one. That's darkness. What you guys are talking about is darkness. But the only one that was demonized of all the disciples was Mary. She had seven demons. Doesn't matter how dark it is and how long it's been, Jesus came to set you free. He wants to wipe away the past. He wants to give you an identity based on what he says about you. Not about what people are saying, but about what he says about you. This, this is the Father's plan. There is an accuser, there is a spirit world, and his, his aim to defeat you is to chain you to your past, to define you by your failure, to define you by your temptations, to define you by the worst things about you. He wants to, and, and he'll come straight. The reason why his accusations work is because there's truth in them. There's truth. You did this, you did this, you did this. How, what are you going to say? Yeah, guilty. It's just not the whole truth. Yeah, all that's true, Mr. Devil, but here's what else is true. I'm the beloved of God. And Jesus died for my sins on that cross. And my testimony isn't about my righteousness. It's about his blood. It's about his life. It's about what he's doing. It's about the future he has for me. The new life. I love it. One of the kids is even excited. (laughs) New love and a new father. So I do something called the one-year Bible. If you're unfamiliar with it, it is... A Bible 
that if you read it each day, it'll take you all the way through the Bible in a year, actually Psalms and Proverbs twice. But what it does is it breaks the Bible up and there's a little Old Testament reading, there's a New Testament reading, there's a Psalm, and there is a proverb each day. I don't read the Bible, ever, and, and this is how I work. I'm just one of those guys, if I had to figure out where I'm gonna read, I'd spend half my time analyzing it. I, just, I don't think about it, I, just, I already know where I'm gonna read. I get up in the morning, I never interview myself in the morning. Like, am I, am I spiritual today? Am I doing good? Am I doing bad? Did I, did I sleep good? Did I? No, I get up, I get my coffee, praise God. That's number one. And then I just open the Bible up to where, wherever day it is, and I, I begin reading. I, I don't get intimate with God by reading the Bible. Intimacy with God is a gift from God to me by the blood of Jesus. There's an open heaven over every believer. I read the Bible to open the gift that he's already given. It's grace. It's grace. I've, I've actually become addicted to reading the Bible. I've become addicted to being with him. It's not like, you're so disciplined. No, that would be like telling a teenage boy that eats three meals a day that he's, how do you do it three times a day? You're so disciplined. It's like, what? You're weird. I love to eat. Anyway, um, but here's this morning's reading. So this morning's reading is about the rich young ruler. And... uh, he wants eternal life, and, and he's kept the commands, most of the commands. Jesus says, you're lacking one thing. You need to abandon everything and follow me. And he goes away sad because he's really rich. And Jesus says these words, how hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. Well, in that Jewish culture, if you were rich, that was a sign of the blessing of God. And so they're like, well, who can make it then? Here's what Jesus said. Who can make it to heaven? Who can make it into the kingdom? Here's what Jesus said. With man, it's impossible. There's nothing man can do. There's no religious, religious activity you could do, no good work you could do, no amount you could give, no karma you could create, no door you could knock on. There's nothing man can do that will get you into heaven. And then he said this, but all things are possible with God. And then Peter asks a fair question. Lord, what about us? We have abandoned. We've left everything. We're following. We've devoted our life to following you. Listen to what Jesus said back. This is from this morning's reading. Here's what he says. Truly I tell you, Jesus said to them, no one who has left home or wife or brothers or sisters or parents or children for the sake of the kingdom of God will fail to receive many times as much in this age and in the age to come, eternal life. He says, listen, here's how the father feels. When you you abandon to him, he is going to make your life, Mark's gospel says, a hundred times, God's gonna make your life a hundred times better because you're following him. He's gonna take care of everything. He's gonna, he's gonna, prove you. He's going to protect you. He's going to promote you. You don't have to do that yourself. The Father, this is who the Father is. He loves you. He wants to take care of you. You do not need to fear giving everything to follow Jesus because it'll be a hundred times better in this life and 
Jesus says, you should see the retirement plan. (laughs) Eternal life. This will be the best possible version of your life. So how do you do it? How do you get into this new love and this new father? Let me tell you real quickly. John 1.12, Jesus says, whoever receives me, to as many, it says, as received him, to them he gave the power to become the children of God. Not born of man, not born of the will of man, but born of God. Christianity, at the end of the day, guys, is not you following a set of rules or you believing a set of doctrines. To be a Christian, you have to receive a person. You need to receive the very life of God into you. As many as received him, to them, he gave the power to become the children of God. So here's what Jesus says. John, or Revelation 3.20. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice, doesn't matter how much you've sinned, how long you've sinned, how addicted you've been. It doesn't matter that you've been irreligious. It doesn't matter that you've blasphemed God, you've said horrible things, done horrible things. Anyone, if anyone hears my voice and opens their door, I will come in. I will bring my intimacy. I will bring my love. I will bring my life. I will bring eternal life into their spirit and they will be mine and I will introduce the Father to them 